and uh, he laid his, his gift at the feet of baby Jesus and said, I bring you gold. And he went to the back and he stood nicely the way he's supposed to with a towel wrapped around his head. And the other two guys, I think it might have been Asher Brown actually, he got a little ahead actually and he came in and he said, uh, I bring you gold. And then he came back. And my son Hawkins, he was a little bit late. He came in. Oh, I'm sorry. Asher brought uh, myrrh. Asher brought myrrh. It won't affect the punchline. Don't worry. And then uh, my son Hawkins was a little bit late. He came in and he, he dropped his gift at the feet of Jesus. And he said, here, Frank sent this. Gold myrrh and Frank sent this. God bless those kids. Okay, let's pray quick. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for uh, the chance to come and to worship you and to, and to learn about you. God, I just pray that you'd help me today uh, to say your words and to minister. In Jesus' name, amen. So my name's Chris Jacobson. I sit on the board here at, at uh, church, and I want you guys to know just how wonderful a church you have. I don't know if... Sometimes that's evident, but we have a wonderful senior pastor, and we have a wonderful staff, and we have a wonderful board. It's one of the highlights of my service is, uh, is working with these men on the board. There's a wonderful spirit of unity in this church, and I just want you to know that. But that's my background. I'm, I'm uh, on the board of elders here. I guess I spoke up one too many times in meeting, and they said, okay, I guess you can speak on Sunday morning. So here I am. We're in, uh, the, at the end of a, a series called uh, Flipped, and it's about Jesus' uh, topics on the, sermon to the, on the Sermon of the Mount. And um, how many know that Jesus is an excellent teacher? You all know? I teach for a living. Uh, I, I work out at the base, and I, I'm a flight instructor there. And it amazes me how effective Jesus is as a teacher. And we're going to see a little bit of that this morning, but... He knows when to emphasize, he knows when to reach into your heart, and he knows when to, he knows how to make something stick uh, with you, and, and we're going to see that a little bit this morning. So I got the last part of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking about true and false prophets, and I want to talk about discernment, and ultimately talk about the Father heart of God. Um, let's uh, bring up the first passage here, Harry. So this comes from, you can follow me along, this is in NIV, if you guys all have your Bibles along. Um, we're talking about uh, Matthew seven fifteen to 23, true and false prophets and true and false disciples. When I first got this verse, I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to speak to on this? This is a tricky one. Because this verse bothers me a little bit, and I bet it bothers some of you. The first part is easy, but the second part is not. So let's talk about this a little bit. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear uh, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you will recognize them. I understand that. That makes sense to me. Let's talk about the second verse here. 
the second portion of this verse, uh, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Yikes. So I like the first part. I get the idea that, you know, you do bad, you get bad. You, you know, you, you act bad, you say bad, you get bad. I, I get that part. I think we all do. And I think there's a, a good couple nuggets in here. First, I want to talk a little bit about discernment. I think there's value in, in, in what Jesus is saying in that, you know, by your fruit you'll recognize them. How a person lives, how they act, how they behave, how they talk, how they relate to people. That tells you the, of their, the, the state of their heart. My dad always used to say, the tongue is the dipstick of the heart. And uh, he grew up on a farm. And uh, I think that that's true. I think that that's true. It's easy sometimes to be good at work, but it's sometimes it's hard to be good at home with your family. And I think that by your fruit, you can recognize people. But I, I don't think that, that new, that's news to anybody here. The second part of this verse grinds my gears a little bit. It's tricky. So let's talk a little bit about discernment and judgment. So I believe that discernment is useful. It's a useful tool, but judgment is a trap. Part of the reason why I like that first part of the verse, the part about fruit and you get what you deserve type thing, is that I get to stand on a pedestal and, and say, yeah, yeah, those people, they don't, they don't do quite the right, they don't have good fruit. They don't have good fruit. You know those Catholics, they actually use wine for communion, real wine, not just grape juice. You know, you know those folks down the road, they believe this and that. You know that I saw him you know, doing some things he probably shouldn't have been doing last Saturday night. It's easy to judge. And I think, I don't think it's fruitful. In fact, earlier in this, in this verse, in, in verse 7 of Matthew, here, you want to bring this one up here, Harry. Uh, Matthew 7 to 1. Jesus says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured against you. So judgment is dangerous. And it's not just dangerous for other people. It's also dangerous for yourself. Do you know Paul himself says, I don't judge myself. Because when you judge, you are judging yourself as well. If you're harsh with somebody else, you're harsh with yourself. You're damaging yourself. So judgment is a dangerous thing, I believe. Discernment is useful because, you know, you don't want to make a bad investment or get in with a bad group of people. By your fruit, you can recognize them. But judgment is dangerous. So in my community, in my, in my job, we have a, a saying that says, uh, the guy you fail today will do your check ride tomorrow. And what that means is, well, let me tell you a story. So... Um, when I was on course here in Moose Jaw as a student, 
uh, learning to fly airplanes. I remember I was flying with uh, a fellow named Adam Pentney. He's, he's now in, in Trenton commanding the, uh, the C-17 squadron. And he, he flew my basic instrument test. His name was, his call sign was Snapper 13 at the time. Snapper is the standard cell in Moose Jaw. And uh, we went flying, and the trip went pretty good. There was one comment on the, my report card at the end of that trip, and it said, numerous call sign abuses. And probably what that means is I called them everything but Snapper 13 on the radio. Snapper 10, Snapper 12, Snapper 14. I think he was tired of me by the end of it. But he was gracious to me. I got a good, I got a good mark on that trip. Fast forward two years, I wind up at, at, a, at a Herc squadron, and, and who do you know, the first guy I run into when I open the door is Adam Penny. Captain Penny is there, and I saw him. I said, you flew my bit. I remember that, and he didn't remember it right away. He, that's typically, all he sees is a helmet, right? He doesn't know who I was. He sees two helmets a day. And uh, as, we, as we went through the course, as we went flying together, I was just a little bit ahead of him, and I ended up um, flying as the aircraft commander when he was a first officer at the very end. And uh, that's what I mean. The guy who does your check ride today, he will do, you will do his check ride tomorrow. There's, there's a reciprocity, you see. You switch seats. So be careful how you judge because it's not only harmful for you, it's harmful for everybody else. And what goes around comes around. But I, I think that Jesus wasn't so interested in people's actions. I have a theory. I think he was more interested in people's hearts. I think he was more interested in the state of their hearts. I think he was more interested in a relationship with them. Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times, the rooster crows. Peter kind of beat his chest, ran out of there. Christ was crucified. In, in the days that followed, the disciples were trying to figure out what was going on. Peter said, forget about this, I'm going fishing. And he went out and he went fishing with his friends. They didn't catch a single thing that night. And I imagine that Peter felt terrible because you realize that just before that, Jesus had, uh, Peter had told Jesus, I will die for you. And Peter, Jesus said, no, no, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, 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 I'll die for you. And Peter failed. I bet he felt pretty bad about it. So what does Jesus do? Does anybody remember? Doug remembers. What did he do? He called him. You know what he did? He went to the shore where Peter was fishing. And he made him breakfast. He made him breakfast. He didn't, he wasn't worried about the denial. He was worried about Peter's heart. He wanted Peter's heart. He wanted that relationship. He made him breakfast. <laughs> he told him, hey, professional fisherman, why don't you try the other side of the boat? 
And I imagine he said, you know, Peter was, he didn't know it was Jesus at the time. He said, what is this guy talking about? I've been fishing all night. I've been doing this my whole life. I run a business. I know what I'm doing. Okay, we'll try the other side. And he got a haul, a haul so big that it was breaking the nets on the way in. Jesus is abundant and he loves you. When Peter recognized this, he jumped out of the boat and he ran. He, uh, he swam and they had a heart to heart. They had a talk about what Peter's life was going to be like following. And it was, it was a deep heart, heart talk over breakfast. See, Jesus was interested in Peter's heart. He was interested in restoring that relationship. He didn't care so much what he did. And in fact, that's what God wants for us. You see this as well in the prostitute that washed Jesus' feet just before he died. Jesus wasn't so concerned about what she was doing. She was concerned about, Jesus was concerned about her heart, the state of her heart, the relationship. The same thing, the woman caught in adultery. Plenty of room for judgment, no? Plenty of room for judgment. But no, Jesus said, the first among you can cast the first, the, the one who hasn't sinned can cast the first stone. Stood up for her, met her at a heart level, said, I am for you and not against you, essentially. And they all went one by one. It was legal. They were well within their rights to judge and to stone. But Jesus said, no, I have, I'm interested in your heart. Who's left to condemn you? He tells her, no one. Neither do I. I don't condemn you either. I'm interested in your heart. I'm interested in you. So you see, I think that Jesus is more interested in our self-discernment than he is about judging us. He wants us to know what fruit we have in our life and how that reflects our hearts to him. And this is what I believe he's trying to talk to us about. He's going to flip it around on us, see? So let's spend some time talking about the second part of this verse. Harry, can you bring that 21 to 23 up? The, uh... Yeah, there we go. This is the one that grinds my gears. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So does anybody else have trouble with this verse? Am I the only one here? Come on, let me see some hands. Yeah, yeah. How come? Somebody. Be honest. Does Jesus sound gentle here? Does it make sense like it did in the first? It sounds so harsh, right? Away from me, you evildoers. The standard seems so high. Like, when I think of somebody who's casting out demons and doing miracles in the name of Christ, I think they've got this Christianity thing pretty figured out. No? But that doesn't seem to be the, the painting that, that, uh, that Jesus is, or the picture Jesus is painting here for us. But I believe, here's my theory, when you see something in the Bible that grinds your gears, 
there's something wrong. Well, I better be careful. I'm not going to point a finger because I'm judging in that case. When I see something in the Bible that's grinding my gears, there's something wrong with the way I'm thinking. There's something wrong with me. Jesus is trying to draw our attention to more important matters than discernment here. He's trying to get to our hearts. He's trying for, to draw attention to the state of our hearts and our relationship with him. So let's just talk for a second pragmatically here about is it possible to do miracles and works and stuff like this in the name of Christ without, you know, having a close relationship with him? Is it? Yeah, Doug's nodding. I feel good when Doug nods. I know I'm on the right track, right? If he starts shaking his head, somebody start yelling at me, okay? All right, let's bring that next verse up here. Uh, uh, Harry, let's go with Acts 19, 13, 16. This is an interesting story. So this is a story in Acts. Paul's talking about his trip to Ephesus, I think. And he's, he's talking about uh, a story that they saw earlier. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Everybody know this story? They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sevea, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Quite a story. These guys were doing miracles in Jesus' name. They were driving out spirits in Jesus' name. But their hearts were far from him. You've heard Isaiah say, they they worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. This is what we're talking about today. Can you imagine being in a church that's casting out demons and doing miracles and things like this? And the real uh, presence of the Spirit isn't there. So this is, this is possible. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about hearts. I want to talk about Mary and Martha for a little bit. Everybody knows the story about Mary and Martha. I think I probably would have been Martha. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. God bless Martha, always serving. She had a sister called Mary, and all Mary did was sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. I picture Mary, I picture my own living room when I, when I picture this. I picture, you know, Mary kind of at the feet in the carpet, and Jesus sat sitting on the sofa, and him talking about all sorts of things, wonderful things, him relating to her in her heart. I imagine they were building a friendship. I imagine they were talking about things that edified Mary. I imagine they probably had coffee, or they would have today. I don't know. This is, uh, this is in the East. They probably had some kind of tea. But Martha was distracted. This would have been me. I would have been in the kitchen. I've been working hard, trying to do a good thing. You know, 
I invited Jesus over after all. We've got to give him a good show. Hospitality is very valued in the East as well as I'm learning. And they go to great lengths to, to make their guests comfortable. This is a big thing. Martha got tired of this. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of this work by myself? I get kind of a flashback of the prodigal son's brother here, right? Hey, I've done what you wanted the entire time. And my brother went off and and squandered your wealth on, on whores and liquor. And you won't throw a party for me. Don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered. And I imagine it's easy to read this in a condescending manner. Martha, Martha. I don't think it was like that. I think it was more like, remember how... uh, the allegory of God, who is the father of the prodigal son, says, my son, everything that I had was yours. I think that's the tone that Jesus used with Martha, uh, with Martha here. Martha, Martha, you're so worried and upset about so many things. But few are needed. Indeed, only one. Only one is needed. Only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken from her. I don't think Jesus was worried about the works. I don't think she was, he was worried about the actions. I don't think he was worried about the fretting and the service. The obedience, even. He was worried about the heart. He was worried about the relationship. The one thing. The one thing. I want to read that again, but but few things are needed. You don't need to worry about many things. You only need to worry about one thing. And Mary has chosen what is better. It won't be taken from her. So what did, you, what did Jesus value more? Did he, did he value works? The service? All of, all of Martha's sacrifice? The obedience? The relationship? He was worried about the relationship. So let's dig a little deeper here and see. I think we're starting to kind of get to a point where the second verse doesn't bother me as much in our main text. To me, the most interesting part of this passage of Scripture is Jesus' last sentence. Let's bring that up one more time. Let's go back to... Help me out, Harry. Twenty-one to twenty-three, Matthew twenty-one to twenty-three. Jesus says, "I never knew you. 
away from me, you evildoers. This is the, ver- this is the part of this verse that, that is difficult for me. But I also believe it's the key to understanding how this is, was, was going on. Now, let's just picture for a second that, well, I'll tell you a story. A couple of years ago, I uh, awoke in the middle of the night. Somebody was pounding on the door at, at our house. And it was startling enough, like it was a big old and two in the morning type thing. So I bolted out of bed. Jess kind of gives me the elbow, said, go see what's going on. So I, I ran out and I, I kind of looked out the window and I saw somebody kind of staggering like this in the front door. And I thought, oh boy. Imagine if that guy was in my house and that I didn't want him there and that he was kind of violent and kind of, you know, I was worried for the protection of my family. I don't know that I would say to him something like, I never knew you. Get out of my house. I don't think I'd say it like that. I never knew you? It doesn't make much sense. I would say, get out of my house. Or I'd say, I'm going to go get my gun. Or I'd say, you know, wait a minute, I'll be back. Get out of my house. I'm going to call the cops. I wouldn't say I never knew you. It doesn't fit somehow. So I believe the key to understanding this passage is that Jesus never knew the ones he was sending away. I think that's where we're getting to. Coming up to the crescendo where Jesus is about to be crucified, he he says something about Jerusalem. He says, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wing like a brood of chicks. But you would have none of it. You wouldn't let me mother you. You wouldn't let me care for you. You wouldn't let me bring you into the fold. You wouldn't let me know you. You wouldn't let me protect you. Let me ask you, did Jesus know Martha? Did he know Mary? Who do you think he knew better? Mary or Martha? Who do you think knew him better? Did he know Peter? Did he have a relationship with Peter? Certainly. Certainly. It's about Jesus knowing you. It's about you knowing Jesus. Let's back up just a minute here. Let's talk a little bit about fruit. Because we talked a lot about fruit in the first, the easy part to understand about this verse. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's bring up uh, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. This is a part of the Bible that talks a lot about fruit. By your fruit you will know them. And I believe this is what Jesus was trying to say. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, 
sorry, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. These are the kinds of fruits that Jesus was talking about. And this is the ones that good prophets have as evidence in their lives. This is the fruit that people who do the will of God have in their home and in their workplace, in their relationships. Well, that's all well and good, but I might have this fruit, if I'm honest, about 10 or 20% of the time. So maybe I'm in trouble. But I think Peter probably would have been in trouble too. Thank goodness there's another passage of scripture that kind of amplifies this a little bit more. How do we produce fruit in our lives? If I only have it 10 or 20% of the time, I'm in trouble. How do I get this on a regular basis? How can I become the way I'm supposed to be? Also, let's bring up John 15, 1 to 8. Does anybody know this passage? I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. I want you to pay attention to the similarities between even the phrases and the language that are used in this verse and in our first verse. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. Because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He continues, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in me, you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. My disciples. Throwing away of good branches. Bearing fruit. It's all the language is the same. So how do we bear good fruit? Somebody help me out. Remain in him. Knowing him. Being with him. It's a little clearer to me now. We are known by God by abiding in him. By remaining in him. And in this way, we don't even have to strive like Martha, to produce the fruit that's required of us. And you know, when you abide in God, you automatically fulfill God's law. Do you know that the word says that love is the complete fulfillment of the law? And if you have, or if you remain in a loving relationship with God, you will fulfill the law. You will do what is right. 
because his love overflows from you in your heart and into other people. The fruit becomes evident. So, there's a little experiment. I just want to flip what Jesus said. Remember when he said the, the part of this verse that I have trouble with? I always knew you. Sorry, I, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. It's harsh, right? Let's just flip it. What if it said this? I always knew you. Come near to me, you who fulfill God's law. That's wonderful. I always knew you, and you always fulfilled my law. So I can sum up this entire thing by saying that the crux of this entire message is be known by God. Be known by God. And I want you to know that God wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you, his child. The two most significant days of my life were when my children were born. I don't know if that's the same for everybody here. I think it's the way God builds it, actually. My daughter Prairie's here. Hawk, who I talked about earlier, is in Sunday school. But when Prairie was born, actually, I'll tell you a funny story. Prairie was born in Calgary. And we lived in northeast Calgary at the time. I don't know if anybody's been to northeast Calgary. It's a very ethnic neighborhood. And uh, Prairie was whisked away by the nurses after, uh, after she was born to get cleaned up. You know, they're going to put a little gown on her and a little cap on her head. And so I was with Jess for a little bit. And when the time came, I, I said, okay, well, I'm going to go check up on Prairie. So I wandered over to the, uh, to the desk where there were two kind of admin nurses sitting there. And this is where all the kids were, just behind the wall. And you know how they are. They're in kind of little beds and things like this. And as soon as I saw these nurses, they said, oh, we have your baby for you. I was like, what do you mean? I, you don't even know my name yet. That's what I was thinking. And so I kind of shrugged and followed the nurses around the, uh, the, the hall where the to where the babies were. And then I got it, right? Prairie was the only white kid in a sea of beautiful East Indian babies. And East Indian babies, I don't know if you know, are very, they're very beautiful. Like dark hair and big black eyes. And it was, it was really cool. But, but Prairie was uh, a white gem amongst a sea of, of uh, I'm going to say ethnic. You have to forgive me. But... Um, I took her back, and I, I sat her on my chest. I laid down in a, in a, uh, a recliner. And she lifted her head up like this. She was very strong. She's very strong and beautiful. She looked right in my eyes. And... Um, I want, to, I want you to know that I wasn't thinking, I hope this is a good girl. 
I hope that she listens to what I say. I hope she does well and marries the right guy. I hope this all, you know, every parent hopes for that. But you know what I wanted? I wanted to know her. I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to know what she was like, her personality, her preferences, her strengths and her weaknesses. I didn't care about the potential for failure. I wanted to know her heart. I wanted to know her. And I want you to know that God thinks the same way of you, except on a much bigger scale. Because you're all his kids. You're all his kids. And you know, he doesn't care as much what you've been up to. He doesn't care as much of your failings. In fact, he paid a very big price to push those failings off the table. A very big price. And when he pushed all those failings off the table, he wanted to know your heart. So the reason why Jesus came is so that we can get to the heart of our dad. God is a father, and you are his son, and you are his daughter. And he wants to know you. That's the crux of the matter. And if your heart knows him, you bear good fruit. And you don't even have to work at it. I want to close with two thoughts. The first is this. If you're like me, and you have spent most of your life reading the Bible like a doctor's prescription note, I'm coming to see that that's not the way it's supposed to be read. And what I mean by this is that, okay, well, some of you will will identify with this. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. No, that's not how I thought. Your yoke is heavy. Your burden is heavy. You have a list of stuff that I need to do and I can't do any of it. See how angry I'm getting? But no, he's saying my yoke is easy. You just have to be with me and all this stuff's going to take care of itself. I just want to know you. Just like you want to know Prairie or Hawkins or Lark. So I want you to realize, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm starting to realize that the Bible's more like a love letter than a doctor's note. You know, exercise 30 minutes a day. Eat the right stuff. Get enough sleep. No, it's more like a love letter. It's a story about how God is trying to get his kids back about how your dad is trying to get his kids back, trying to get you back. So that's for the Christians in the house. Is that I want, if, if you read the letter, if you, if you resonate with the idea that my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light with anger, it's, that's not how it's supposed to be. God's yoke is easy. His burden is light, and I'm coming to realize that. 
And the second thing I want to just emphasize is that God desperately wants to know you. Desperately wants to know you. And you can know him. Christ died for us. We talk a lot about Jesus. I think we need to talk as much about the Father. Because it says we're in Christ. And when we're in Christ, Christ is our brother. And we can access God. We can see God as a son, as a daughter. And we can know him. We can converse with him in peace. He's not going to demand a bunch of lists for us. He just wants to be in a relationship with each of us. I'm going to invite the worship team here back together. They're going to play one more song. But I want for the folks maybe that don't know God, I, I want to lead you all in a prayer. And I'd ask you to stand with me, please. And what we're going to do is, if God's been tugging on your heart, if you don't know this God who loves you so much and you want to get to know him a little bit, we can do that. You can do that. There's an opportunity for that this morning. And what I'm going to ask is for all of us to pray this prayer together, just so that nobody's left out. It's a simple prayer, and it's a prayer of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. So let's pray together. Bow your heads with me, please. Let's all pray. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to pray here for now, too. God, thank you so much for your, for your heart of love, for your Father's heart. Thank you that you love us so much. God, I want to pray for everybody who has struggled with legalism. I just pray in Jesus' name that you would show them that you love them like a father. I pray that you begin to nurture relationships of love and joy and fruitfulness among your people, among your Christians. And God, we just ask that you would bless us as we go here today. In Jesus' name, amen.